Galatians, we're going to talk about Galatians today. And the book of Galatians is, um, I would put it up with Romans as one of Paul's most important letters as it pertains to the Christian church, especially the early Christian church and some of the things that they were dealing with. The early Christian church came out of Judaism. The church was birthed in Jerusalem on the Jewish festival of Pentecost with the first church consisting of 3,000 Jewish people and growing by the day. So the church was, had a very Jewish uh, origin. But however, Christianity would be very distinct from Judaism in its foundational principles. And there would eventually have to come a separation between the tradition and the ad- adherence of Judaism and the Old Covenant versus Christ and the New Covenant. Because the church wouldn't be just an ethnically Jewish or historically Jewish entity. It would include non-Jews that we would refer to as Gentiles. And it would include the full inclusion of Gentiles into one body along with believing Jews in Christ to form one people of God. And we've seen it in the books that we've studied so far, and we've talked about it before, and we're certainly well aware of the debates that happened in the early church with a Jew and Gentile. We talked about it over some of the food laws that Jews ate certain or didn't eat certain things that uh, Gentiles did, and one judged the other, and the other judged the other. And so a lot of the New Testament has to do with how do Jews and Gentiles, who come from completely different backgrounds, completely different cultures, completely different ethnicities, how do they not just coexist but become one people in the body of Christ? So this letter to the Galatians addresses a major, major, major issue in the early church. So I would put this along with uh, Romans as some of Paul's most important letters. And not just in Paul's time for the early church, but even down through the ages. With the great reformation, Martin Luther made the statement. He said, and I quote, The epistle to the Galatians is my epistle. This is what the great reformer Martin Luther said. The epistle to the Galatians is my epistle. I have betrothed myself to it. It is my wife, he said about this book of Galatians. Of course, Martin Luther led the great Protestant Reformation, which was on the basis of the Scriptures alone, in Christ alone, by faith alone, without the the added requirements that man-made religion or traditional religion would put on how a person can come to faith in Jesus Christ. So, in the totality of the whole church, and for Paul's day, and for even Martin Luther's day, and for our day, the book of Galatians is so very important. So, what is some of the content? If you notice in your your book, or if you picked up a paper when you were coming in, some of the content is... A heated argument with Galatian believers over some Jewish, you can call them missionaries, you can call them itinerants, you can call them uh, agitators, uh, who insisted that the Gentiles needed to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses if they wanted 
full inclusion as the people of God. So you had Gentiles who, when you read the book of Acts, Peter went to a man named Cornelius' house. Cornelius and his household were the first ones to receive the Holy Spirit after the day of Pentecost. And Jews looked down on Gentiles. They referred to them as dogs. They referred to them as unclean. But God was getting ready to do a major work. And the major work was bringing the Gentiles to faith and including them as being his people, along with those of Jewish descent who would believe. So Peter goes to Cornelius' house, and Peter begins to preach the gospel. And as Peter is preaching the gospel, the Gentiles were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit the same way that the Jews were filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. So Peter has to go back to Jerusalem, and Peter has to go back to the other apostles. Peter says, the Gentiles received the Holy Spirit just like we did on the day of Pentecost. And therefore, God has put his favor among the Gentiles and have made them and brought them into this covenant that he has made. And that was kind of a surprise and kind of irritated a lot in Jerusalem because they did not want to grant full inclusion to these Gentile believers because of the differences that they had. So the whole issue is really the inclusion of the Gentiles, which we even talked about that in 1 Corinthians a little bit. So the content here is Paul is at his, he's really angry, and it comes through in a lot of his writing. Whereas in Romans, we saw Paul as being a great theologian, and he's laying out a wonderful, just like a lawyer in a court, he's laying out his argument for justification by faith alone, as well as dealing with the issue of the church being one. We saw in 1 Corinthians that he was, you know, a little stern with them, but as a father trying to correct them because of their uh, their actions. We saw in between 1 and 2 Corinthians that Paul wrote a very harsh letter to the church at Corinth. And he was sorrowful that he wrote the letter, but yet in the end, many of them repented, so it ended up being okay. Then in 2 Corinthians, we saw Paul's heart as a father. You know, he's trying to repair the relationship. He's showing how much the Corinthian believers mean to him. Then in the last part of 2 Corinthians, if you remember, Paul's tone changes drastically, and he is going after these who are still trying to cause division and question his apostleship. So it's with that type of fervor that we come over to Galatians, and we see that same fieriness in the writing of the Apostle Paul here in the book of Galatians. And we'll point that out a little bit more next week when we get into the text. So the author is the Apostle Paul. We see that at the beginning of the letter. Uh, the date, um, traditionally, has been around 55, something earlier. Um, I think earlier makes a lot more sense, especially when you put it together with the book of Acts, because uh, there was the major event in the book of Acts takes place in Acts 15, and we'll look at that in a moment. But it's called the Jerusalem Council. And it was about, they had to have a business meeting about this issue of circumcision and what part of the law do the Gentiles have to keep. And probably what's going on in Galatia here has an effect on the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15. So the recipients were the Gentile believers. 
Uh, and there's questions on what, what that means. Who were the Gentiles? Where were, or I mean, who were the, the uh, Galatians? Where were they located? There's a couple of possibilities you see here under the recipients. Gentile believers in Galatia, either ethnic Galatians, whose territory was in Central Asia Minor, more in the north, or those in the Roman province of Galatia, more in the south, which included the people of uh, Poseidon, Lyconia, and Phrygia, talked about in Acts 13, 14, and 16. I think that's the one to go with. I think there's good evidence of the church being established among those believers uh, in Galatia. And that gives us an earlier writing. Again, there are some debate about that, but I think that makes the most sense. The occasion of the letter, we always look at the occasion. Why was the letter written? And we gave a brief introduction on that in the content, but I want to speak a little more. Let me just read what's here under occasion, and then I'll make some other comments. The occasion, the churches of Galatia have been invaded by some agitators who have questioned Paul's gospel and his apostleship. Apparently, some Galatians are on the verge of capitulating to them, which sparks a vigorous defense by Paul of his gospel and his calling. So what we see in the book of Galatians, the reason he wrote it is there were some that had come in to the church telling the believers that they must be circumcised, that the males must be circumcised, they must adhere to the law of Moses. And we'll look at some scriptures um, to start out with uh, that kind of show this. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, we see here, Paul begins, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ. So there are some that are quickly deserting. They're easily deserting Christ and the one that called you to live in the grace of Christ. Paul called them to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. He says, which is really no gospel at all. He says, evidently some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. So that is the heart of the matter. There were some that had come into the church, trying to put them in confusion, perverting the pure gospel of Christ, which Paul had called them in, into on the basis of grace through faith, not adherence to the law or to the Jewish rituals. And there were some that were quickly deserting this grace of God to follow these that had come in to draw them away. So that's the first verse. Uh, if we look, let's look at another verse here in Galatians chapter 5, verses 10 and 12. Paul says, I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. So there you see that there is an outside influence. There is an influence. He's trying to persuade them. He goes on to say in verse 12, and this Paul gets a little graphic here, okay? So you kind of have to excuse Paul's language. He gets a little graphic because the issue is circumcision of the males. And Paul says here in Galatians 5.12, as for those agitators, as for those coming in teaching, you must be circumcised to be saved. I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. So Paul doesn't hold anything back um, in his arguments. 
as we see here in the Galatians chapter 5, verse number 12. So the issue is there are those that are coming in, perverting the gospel of grace, putting the believers in confusion, saying that they must follow Jewish law and Jewish rituals and Jewish requirements in order to be saved. He's taking them away from the pure gospel that Paul had preached to them, and many of them are falling for it, and Paul is angry about it because what's at stake is two things. His apostleship, because they were attacking him as an apostle, because even though he had Jewish roots, maybe he wasn't Jewish enough for them because he wasn't teaching circumcision. And secondly, it was the gospel, the message that you, Jew or Gentile, you are saved, you are redeemed, you are brought into the family of God and fully accepted in Christ by grace through faith alone. No, not one external requirement that the law gave or any religion would give. It is by grace through faith. And that is the gospel. And that's what's at stake for Paul. As I made mention, this was a heated argument in First Corinthians, I mean in Acts chapter 15. So if you notice here, one more scripture I'll show you here. The Jerusalem Council, this was the big business meeting in the, the book of Acts when they came together in Jerusalem to discuss this issue of the Gentiles coming in. How do we respond to that? What laws must they follow? What are they required to do? And the whole heart of the matter was Acts 15.1. How certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers. Unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. And that's what brought about this, this uh, great debate. And what they settled at the Jerusalem Council was, we're not going to put excess requirements on these Gentile believers. If God has accepted them, which he showed he accepted them because they received the Spirit, and the Spirit was evidenced outwardly, and they could see the evidence of the giving of the Spirit because that was going to be the sign of the new covenant, the giving and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Joel prophesied in the last days, I will pour out my spirit, says the Lord. Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and he says, this is that which Joel spoke of, that I will pour out my spirit in these last days. So the giving of the spirit was the sign. So when the spirit was given to the Gentile believers and the Jewish people saw that they had received the Holy Spirit, that was proof God has accepted them without circumcision, without any other requirements of the law. Now, the only thing that they did require or ask of the Gentile believers was a couple of things. Number one, it was to not, there was two or three requirements, and most of them had to do with meat sacrificed to idols in the temple and eating meat that was strangled or, you know, still had blood in it. And there, there was two reasons of that. First of all is because that type of food still identified with the pagan world. Paul talked about that in 1 Corinthians. When he, talk, when he told them, you know, really you, you're free to eat anything, but don't be going to the temples and eating the food sacrificed to idols um, because you want to show a distinction between the pagan world and you. And also because you're trying to coexist with Jewish believers. 
and they don't eat those things, and, and eating that with them would bring offense and put a stumbling block to them. And Paul wrote the same thing, and Paul was not against that. He wrote the same thing in Romans chapter uh, 14 when he talked about, you know, if you have the freedom to eat certain things, but you're eating with, you know, a brother and it would cause them to stumble, it's better not to eat in that moment. Uh, So that didn't have anything to do with requirements for salvation. It had to do with, number one, uh, coming apart from the pagan world and showing yourself apart from the pagan world, and number two, uh, the unity of the body. And then it was to abstain from fornication, from all types of fornication. And again, that's the same thing. Um, and Paul addresses these in his letters. Um, and because, first of all, a lot of the, um, a, a lot of the uh, fornication in those days, again, was connected with temple worship and temple prostitutes, as was talked about in 1 Corinthians. Uh, and also because of the seriousness of those sins. And Paul addresses that. Uh, you know, because he that's joined to the Lord is now one spirit with the Lord. You know, so we, we shouldn't be going and be joined to something that we're not uh, married and in covenant to. So those are the, the things, those are the requirements, if you will, that they put on the Gentiles. Again, not requirements for salvation, because there were no requirements, but uh, again, in order to show yourself apart from the world and to keep the unity in the body. They said that's what we're going to ask the Gentile believers to do. Abstain from those kinds of meats and to abstain from fornication. So, but the big issue that brought them together was this issue of do Gentiles have to be circumcised and follow the law of Moses? These Judaizers, that's what they were called, they were these Judaizers coming in would say, yes, you have to be circumcised. Yes, you have to keep the law of Moses. Paul is saying, no, you don't. And the apostles here at the Jerusalem Council agreed with no, you don't. So, um, that was the first issue. The second issue is Paul's apostleship is being questioned. They thought he had lacked proper credentials uh, because he didn't go through the proper channels at the beginning of going to Jerusalem to the apostles. Paul writes, and we'll look at it next week in the first part of chapter 1 of Galatians. He says, I didn't immediately go to Jerusalem and meet with those guys that were apostles before me. He said, number one, they didn't call me. God called me. He said, so I went and I met with God. And then after I met with God, then I went to the apostles and they uh, confirmed my calling and my gospel. Um, But yet these agitators, these Judaizers were coming in questioning Paul's authority and putting that into question. Um, Again, and the whole issue with the gospel was the need to be circumcised. Let me show you this one in Galatians chapter 5. This is another heart of the matter. Um, Galatians chapter 5, mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, if you give in to this notion that you must be circumcised in order to be accepted by God, Christ will be of no value to you because it's either your religious works and your obedience to the law or Christ's death and resurrection. That's the choice. Your righteousness or Christ's righteousness. You can have one or the other. You can't have both. It's either law-keeping, you think you're accepted by God because of your obedience to circumcision and the law, or you're accepted by God because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He said, so if you choose the circumcision route, then Christ has no value to you. Christ will be of no value at all. 
He says in verse 3, Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he's obligated now to obey the whole law. Because the law wasn't picking and choosing. Okay, well, I'll I'll keep this because this is for me, but I won't do all of these other things. You know, and that's, you know, part of even the debate today. There's a big debate today. Um, A man that I have been influenced by, his name is Andy Stanley. Andy Stanley is the son of Charles Stanley. Andy Stanley caused a great, 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 great controversy in the past year or so in the church because he made the statement that the church and basically what he was saying, and he used a word he probably shouldn't have used, it wasn't the best word, he used the word unhitch. He said the church should unhitch from the Old Testament, but he wasn't talking about the Old Testament. He was talking about the Old Covenant laws. That's what he was talking about, but you know how people are. They, they take your words and make it say something you didn't say. He was teaching on the Jerusalem Council, and he was saying they had to come to a decision. Is salvation, is Christianity based on the law of Moses and keeping the Old Covenant, or is Christianity based on Christ? And he said it was at the Jerusalem Council that the church unhitched itself from the demands and requirements of the Old Covenant law for justification and salvation. That's what he said, and that's what the Bible teaches, you know? And, uh, but man, people got mad because they said, you know, Andy Stanley doesn't believe, you know, he, he wants to throw away the Old Testament, you know, he don't believe in the Ten Commandments and, and all of this stuff. And to me, he was interpreting the Bible through the lens of the new covenant. And I wholeheartedly agreed. And of course, I stayed out of all the Facebook fights because I don't have time for that. But that's what's here because, you know, and he even had a debate with a guy and, you know, the guy said, no, we, you know, this law, this law, this law, we still keep these. And of course, there were others that that they didn't keep. And he said, well, it's fine if you want to, you know, if you think the Ten Commandments are Christian, but do you keep the penalty of the Ten Commandments? Because with the Ten Commandments came the penalty. If you have a rebellious son, the law says take him out and stone him. <laughs> I mean, if we're going to keep the law, we have to keep the punishment that the law said. So do we take adulterers out and murder them and kill them and stone them? That's what the law demands. So it's a very sticky subject. Not if you stay in the new covenant, though, in Christ. Now, does the new covenant encourage lawlessness? Absolutely not. The, the new covenant brings forth a higher form of righteousness in the believer when his life is transformed by the Spirit. And we'll talk about that as well, because just like Andy Stanley was uh, and others, I've been accused of that over the years. I remember I had a big debate uh, with somebody several, several years ago over that very issue. And um, so even, even in the midst of all of that confusion, they took Paul's words, and Paul had to clarify himself. You know, shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? God forbid. So grace is not lawless, but law will never bring you into grace. So it's either one or the other. So he says, if you want to keep this part of the law, well, then we have to go and we have to keep the whole law. 
because if you break it in one, you broke it in all. If you have to keep it in one, you have to keep it in all. So he says, I say to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to keep the whole law. He says, you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. You've fallen away from grace. He says, if you're trying to keep the law, he says, then you've left grace and you've tried to go back over to saving yourselves by your obedience. And that's the true definition of fallen from grace. Fallen from grace is not someone who is a Christian and then they, they had a big sin. That's what we tell people today. Well, this pastor fell from grace. He sinned. Falling from grace is not sinning. Falling from grace is when you're leaving grace and going back into trying to keep the law and the religious requirements of man-made or traditional religion. I was in, um, I was in a hospital a few weeks ago um, visiting someone and there a, a nurse came in and you know, whenever you're introduced as a pastor, you know, you, you never know what happens. Some people will sort of ignore you. Uh, and then some people want to start talking church with you. And this person wanted to start talking church. And, you know, the church they are going to, they didn't, you know, believe what she believes. And, and the whole issue was about, you know, your eternal salvation. She's like, well, I think you can fall from grace. I think you can sin and fall from grace. And she used that term like six times. And me, I'm just standing there like, Lord, I can't correct this woman right here in the hospital room. This is not the time or the place. But I want to say, I understand what you're saying, but that's the wrong terminology, <laughs> you know, that you're using because that's not what falling from grace uh, means. So uh, biblically, it's not what falling from grace means. So, uh, but anyway, I was good. I, I didn't, even though it takes a lot, of course, I'm, I'm used to that now. So it just, I just let it be, let it be. And uh, so that's at the whole heart trying to be justified by the law, they leave grace. Trying to depend on themselves for circumcision, they leave Christ. So that's the, the heart of the matter there. Um, going down to, um, on your paper, the emphasis. Again, we talked about that. Paul's apostleship and the gospel come directly from God in Christ, not through human uh, mediation. The death of Jesus brought an end to the ethnic religious observances. The Spirit produces the righteousness that the law could not. That, that's what we miss in this whole debate, that there's still a law, but it's the law of the Spirit of life in Christ. And the law of the Spirit produces in us a righteousness that the, that the Mosaic law could never produce in us. Um, now the Spirit enables believers not to yield to sinful desires. In fact, Titus says the grace of God teaches us that denying ungodliness, we should live righteously and soberly. So the grace of God teaches us that we are to deny those things. And it gives us the ability to do it where the law did not. It just inflamed those desires even more. Um, he says, and one receives the Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ. Um, the overview of Galatians on your paper, uh, just like in 2 Corinthians 10 through 12, this letter is clearly three-sided. You have Paul, you have the Galatian believers, and then you have the agitators that he talks to. Paul is red hot, full of the Holy Spirit, and writes with passion and forcefulness. Here you will uh, encounter uh, caustic and biting jobs at the agitators, as well as fervent pleas to the Galatians not to give in to them. Um, and again, what inflamed the intensity, and that is the gospel is at stake. Paul is seeing this as an attack against the gospel. Um, let's look down at the outline 
of Galatians. That's on your paper, and I've got it up here on the screen. Uh, two major sections. First of all, chapter 1, verse 1, through chapter 2, verse 14. This is where Paul is defending his apostleship. Um, he distances himself from immediately going up to Jerusalem, to the other apostles before him. He does not do that immediately. Uh, Paul had a reputation, and when God called him, he went and conferred with God first. Um, then in chapter 2, he talks about how uh, Jerusalem eventually concurred with what he was teaching and agreed with it, so there was no division between Paul's gospel and Peter's gospel or the other apostles. There was no division. Um, and then any failure to keep the accord came from the Jerusalem side. That is when Peter came down. Peter came down to visit the Gentiles. And when Peter came down to visit the Gentiles, he acted more free than he did in Jerusalem. You know, he, he would kind of eat with the Gentiles and be, have liberty. And then on one occasion, Paul was with the Gentiles and he had liberty and he was kind of eating what they were eating and, you know, having his freedom in Christ. And then some people from Jerusalem came to visit. And here's what Peter did. He did an about-face. He turned around and separated himself from the Gentile believers to impress these Jewish believers. And Paul saw this, and Paul called him out as a hypocrite. He called him right out in front of everybody as a hypocrite. So any failure to keep the accord came from Peter and Jerusalem's side by still wanting to appease those Jewish people. So the first... Uh, chapter and going in the middle part of chapter 2, that is Paul's defense of his apostleship. The next part goes through chapter 2, verse 15, through the rest of the letter. And here's what we're dealing with here. Um, first of all, Paul's argument, or I mean, Paul's, uh, right after Peter and Paul have their little uh, in incident there, in chapter 2, 15 through 21, Paul kind of gives an introduction to the rest of the argument. And that's a beautiful piece of writing. We'll read it next week. Uh, so that's kind of his introduction. And then there's three sections following. And it's kind of in three different parts. And it breaks it down and, and he, he reads it. You can read it in your book. And, but it's broken down into an argument that Paul makes an argument. And there's an application, either something they're doing or something they need to do. And then an appeal. He's appealing to them to stay faithful. He's appealing to them to be right. Um, so from chapter 3 to chapter 4, verse 20, the issue is faith versus law. And again, it's in three parts, an application, a, or an argument, an application, and an appeal. So from chapters 3 to, to 4, verse 20, faith versus law. The second part from chapter 4, 21 to 5, 12, freedom versus bondage. Now that they've been set free from all these religious requirements, don't go back now under bondage. And the amazing thing is he's not talking about bondage to sin. He's talking about bondage to religion, bondage to religious rules and requirements that tries to make us feel that we in and of ourselves are righteous. So freedom versus bondage. And he talks a lot there and he uses the example and we'll dig into it, about Abraham and Sarah and Hagar. And he gives a wonderful, and that's another reason why 
they wanted to kill Paul because, you know, you had Isaac, who was the son of promise, who every Jewish person identified with as a son of promise. Then you had Ishmael, who was the son born after the flesh. I know I shouldn't be going into this now, but oh well. So Isaac, every Jewish believer identified with Isaac. We are Isaac's seed. Then you had Ishmael, and he was the one that was born after the flesh. Hagar, the bondservant's son, the one that was cast out. Every Jew identified with Isaac. But Paul turns the tables on them. And he says, now you Jewish people who are attacking the Christians, you are not Ishmael. Or you are not Isaac, but you are Ishmael. And boy, when he called them Ishmael, that's the worst thing you could do was call them Ishmael. But he said, if you're trying to keep the law, you've been brought under bondage and you are the son of the bondwoman. You are Ishmael. And it's the true true believers by faith, even these Gentiles who are the true children of promise and the true children of Isaac. Oh man, no wonder they tried to kill him. For him to call them all Ishmael who were in bondage to the law, that was like the worst thing that you could do. And Paul does it. Again, going on, and then he goes further and says, just go ahead and go the whole way and castrate yourselves. So Paul, again, doesn't hold back any punches in that. So freedom versus bondage. I may get through next week because I just gave you part of it right there. Uh, and then chapter 513 through 617 is the spirit versus the flesh. This is where he gets into, it's the life in the spirit that will cause you to uh, truly live as the people of God, not after the flesh. So we'll look at those three, faith versus law, freedom versus bondage, and spirit versus flesh. All right, on the back of that paper, just a few key things, the specific advice for reading Galatians. If you have a book, this is all in your book. I just kind of gave it some headers here. Um, Look for key words, just like every book where there's an emphasis, there are key words here. Law, I'm not going to read all these, but law, flesh, spirit, grace, faith, uh, seed, Abraham, slave, slavery, Gentiles. Just notice those key words as you're reading. Uh, Secondly, one of the major questions, who's the seed of Abraham? The fact is, is that Gentiles are now brought into the family of Abraham and are partakers of the promises made to Abraham. And the promises was made to the seed of Abraham. God said, Abram, to you and your seed. Well, naturally thinking, they thought the seed was all of those Jewish descendants. Again, Paul flips the script. And he says, the seed of Abraham was not many different seeds or many people. He said, the seed of Abraham is one particular seed that the promise was made with. Not through just the people of ethnicity, but through one person, one seed, and that one seed is Christ. Thus, the true children of Abraham are those who have faith in Christ. So that's a major, major issue. Uh, The third issue is the gospel of grace, which we've talked about. Paul clearly sees, um, Paul sees clearly where the argument leads to the equation that reads grace plus or Jesus plus. Whenever you start adding anything to Christ as a requirement for salvation, you immediately cancel out Christ. So it's grace 
if it's grace plus the works of the law, if that's how favor with God comes, if that's how salvation with God comes, then we're in trouble. Adding a plus factor to grace nullifies grace. Because if there's anything I have, if there's anything I have to do to earn something, it is not of grace. If you were to say, Michael, I'll freely give you $100. I'll freely give it to you by grace. Great. Oh, but first you have to go and cut my house and clean my lawn. And then I'll freely... That's not freely giving it to me by grace. If I have to now go off and earn it, that's like a bait and switch. And that's that's why they were throwing into confusion. Paul's preaching grace through faith, grace through faith. And they've received that. Yes, grace through faith. And then the Jewish believers come in. Oh, but you also have to do this, 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 and this. And no longer is it by grace. So Paul argues that grace plus nothing equals favor with God. Otherwise, believing Gentiles must in fact become Jews in order to be completed as Christians. And then finally, following the heart of the argument. First of all, Paul appeals to their own experience. I had all these up here. Uh, Paul, to their own experience. He says, how did you receive the Spirit of God? Did you, Galatians, you Gentile believers, did you receive the Spirit by faith or by the works of the law? And the answer is faith. He says, so if you begun in the Spirit, if you began by faith, why do you think you're now made perfect by trying to keep the law? So he appeals to their own experience. He appeals to scriptural foundations. Again, he goes back to Genesis. He goes back to Abraham. And he shows the foundation there. He puts the center at Christ, that Christ is a center with, with anything plus Christ. Christ is void. And then he talks about their life in the Spirit. Um, and the final argument, he points out that the Spirit alone is sufficient for the kind of life in the present that reflects the likeness of Christ and stands against the desires of the flesh. It is the Spirit of God where we will fulfill not the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law, the righteousness that the law demanded, that the law can never give you the ability to meet. The spirit of God working in us and us being changed and transformed by the spirit now gives us the righteousness and the ability to live righteous and show forth the life that God has intended for us. So what's at stake here is the whole gospel. What's at stake here is the very heart of the gospel, which is Christ and his work and his finished work on the cross. Either it was finished at the cross or it's not finished at the cross. Either Christ did the work or you have to do the work. If you have to do the work, that means he didn't finish the work. So what's at stake for Paul is the gospel of Christ. What's at stake is the work of Jesus on the cross. And in the book of Galatians, Paul fights for that work of Jesus Christ on the cross.